On today's episode, I interview one of the co-founders of Live Watches, a direct-to-consumer micro brand that crafts limited edition Swiss-made watches in high-precision, incredible detail at an unbelievable accessible price point. To date, they have raised over $3 million from Kickstarter campaigns. We talk about crowdfunding, branding, and marketing through bridging genuine customer connections. You don't want to miss this one. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business by taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklyn, Non, and Choppies. Build your customer list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2x. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and big commerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. 
It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, that extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind backups. Remember to head over to rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. Hi guys, welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. So if you're looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales, I try my best with the content here and the guests I bring on the show to help you, to help you take you to specific goals or targets you're looking to, to to hit with your online stores. Now, on today's episode, when the opportunity to interview this guy came to me, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And, and that's because I, um, I was this close to being a customer and I loved, absolutely loved their marketing. Um, it was just spot on the imagery, the aspiration sold to me, especially on Instagram, because I picked up a lot. I'm actually a follower on Instagram. I've been following this brand on Instagram for probably two years, if, if not more, um, just because everything was just perfect, you know, pixel perfect. Um, and I didn't even realize that um, they had launched their business through a Kickstarter campaign, which is quite fascinating. And they've done about three, they've done a total of four Kickstarters, all of them successful. And um, it's just incredible to, to you know, to, to, to have the opportunity to, to not only talk um, with one of the founders of this comp- the husband and wife, um, you know, team, um, founder team, but but also to share this conversation with you guys, my listeners. Now, the name of this brand is called Live Watches, L-I-V Watches. So some of you may have, you know, come across, you know, them. I think they have about 250,000 Facebook likes on, on their page. And um, I'm, I'm interviewing the husband, um, you know, part of the tag team here, and his name is Shaz. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Shaz to the show. Welcome, Shaz. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. You're, you're dialing in from Florida, I believe. From yeah, we're we're from Miami, from sunny Miami. Miami. Quite hot right now, this time can, of the year. I can imagine. Um, you know, it's a very entrepreneurial place, especially with direct to consumer. I think the only other city and state that really you know comes close would be um, San Diego. Um, I think San Diego is quite, quite, quite um, you know hot right now in in the e-commerce space um and then in the e-commerce tech space you have boston um that's they're doing a lot of um you know interesting stuff in the states but i digress um i have probably haven't done you sufficient justice in in introduction um would you mind taking oh, i think a, you did great oh thank you <laughs> would you mind taking a minute or maybe even two to introduce yourself and um how you you and um your your your, your wife actually came esty um came together to 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 bring live watches to to life yeah absolutely so 
first of all, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a watch freak. So I, yeah, since I was a child, I remember the first watch I got, my brother went to Switzerland and brought me back one of those Swat watch, Swatch watches. And, uh, if I would have held on to that, I would have, I would have been able to, uh, trade that in because that was like one of the originals, one of the first. So remember that plastic, it came in. I think yeah. I was like, I was thinking I was about 10, 11 years old and I got the watch and I felt like a million dollars. And, and since then, I have always worn a analog watch. I actually went for a little while. I went to, um, you know, some of the data banks. I don't know if you remember those Casio data banks. I don't, yep. I don't know. I don't know what, what, what the age bracket you're in, but, uh, I remember those data bank watches and we went from that, but I always had a analog watch. And when I went to mechanical watches, I just became completely obsessed and, and so from, from a child, I've been obsessed with it. So, yeah. So when I came out of, uh, when I came out of high school, I, I, I went, I, you know, I started going to college and then, and then I, I was like debating what I should do. I was actually here in Miami and, uh, I had randomly ran into a family who owned a Swiss watch company and I automatically made a good connection with these people. And, uh, and I was like dying to be involved with what they were doing. So I basically just dropped out. I basically dropped out of school and I hooked up with these, with this wonderful family who I'm still friends with till today. And I got my first job packing watches. So cool. yes, I, I literally, all I wanted to do was be around watches. I didn't care what it was. I would have swept the floors if I had to. Mm. So I, I, I got a job there. I, I quickly went from um, packing to, um, to fulfillment, to, um, I went to sales. There was a sales girl who, who had left the company and there was a position. So they said, okay, we don't want you to do anything except just go and service the accounts. Don't sell them anything. Just be the face of the brand. Um, and so I, so I did sales, I did sales for two years. Then I ended up, you know, working as a full-time salesperson. I, I traveled the country. Um, I went from store to store and then, Eventually, I moved into production. Um, so they, they took me from sales, they did production. And unfortunately, uh, the company uh, went out of business. So, you know, after that, I still had a lot of connections with, within the watch industry. And I bought, I basically just start, started buying and selling and trading watches. And I did that for about, you know, four or five years. And then in 2000, I decided to launch an e commerce um, website. Uh, for selling watches online. We were one of the first to do it. And so we launched the e-commerce and I ran that um, for about 10 years. And in the 2010, I just got sick of it because Amazon had come on board, a lot of competition had come in. And um, I had, you know, I kind of felt that I was, you know, it was just like, you know, basically I, was, I felt like I was just a messenger, like, you know, taking, you know, buying stuff, selling stuff. It was a lot of like, you know, how do you get the merchandise? Could you get the merchandise? It wasn't a lot of, it was a lot of competition, a lot of issues, just not enough, not enough in there. And I just, I started getting a little tired of it. I love the e-commerce side. I love the tech side. I love the, you know, the selling side online, but I just didn't like the actual, you know, buying from these brands and reselling their stuff. So, you know, in 2010, I started already, you know, thinking about, you know, ideas of what I was going to do. And interestingly enough, the same family who had given me a job when I, when I, when I had just come out of school, um, they relaunched a new brand. They're amazing. They relaunched a new brand and they, they decided that they were going to launch a, 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 like a smaller brand that would be strictly online or would be focused a lot online, more like younger, hip. And they asked me, he said, you know, you're really good with the e-commerce stuff. You know, what, you know, can you help us launch this brand? And that was my first 
thinking process about launching a brand online. You know, I was working with, 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 with the company. We started dealing with branding. We started dealing with a lot of the pieces. You know, I was good with the, with the manufacturing side because I had done production. Um, I, I had the e-commerce, but I needed to understand branding and what that meant. And mm -hmm. this situation, or you call it, uh, really gave me an understanding of branding. I was dealing with a lot of people who, who understood branding and what it takes to build a brand and stuff like that. So I did that for about two years with this company and then they eventually just took it over. And then um, during this time, I got married in 2009 and uh, my wife, who's a very talented um, individual, both from um, like from an organizational standpoint, she's really structured. She she knows how to get things done. You know, I find myself more the creative side. Mm -hmm. She's more like the very structured. Like she's really organizes stuff, and she really makes things happen. Like she pushes things through. You mm -hmm. know, she's like one of those people you just like say, okay, here's the idea, and just make it happen. And we just started talking. I'm like, listen, you know, we can do this. You know, and and I started. I started like looking for like, okay, you know, let's look at the marketplace. Let's look at what's going on. And we started looking at the, you know, the watch industry and where things were going, where the brands were positioning. And don't forget, I, I had sold all those brands online. I knew what sold, what didn't sell. I did the branding side. I did the production side. So I had a lot of the pieces. I happened to be lucky that I had a lot of those pieces um, to come together. And then with my wife's organization, um, I was able to take some of my wacky ideas and actually make them happen. So, you know, we started thinking about, you know, I said, I want to do a watch. Um, I want to do a man's watch. I want to do a watch that's at a certain price point. I want to do it at the quality level X. And I want to, I want to do all these different things that we wanted to do. And I mean, I don't know if this is becoming the longest answer you've ever had for a question. No, no, no. <laughs> it's interesting. Go for it. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I'm writing notes also. So, Okay. So then, so then we know we, 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 said, okay, we're, we're, we have the concept, we have the brand, we have, we, we have the concept, a very, very rough concept, what we're going to do. Like, what do we need? What are the pieces that we need? So I'm not a designer. Okay. I know the technical aspects and I have a good eye for design, but I'm not the kind of person that's going to be able to sit and actually, you know, sketch out or do any of that stuff. It's just not me. And we decided from day one that no matter what we're going to do, we're going to do everything the opposite of what traditional way is going to be doing things. So, you know, we're going to be number one, we're going to be online only. Okay. We're not going to stores. Okay. Number two, um, the designs that we're going to do, um, we're not going to hire a designer. We're going to crowdsource our design. Okay. Mm. We're going to get the, the, the design community to help us make this product. And that's what we did. So we had the design challenge that we ran and where, we where, where did you run the design design challenge? We built our own platform. Well, we literally yes, so we built our own platform. Um, it was actually wasn't that 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 difficult to do. We built it like in WordPress, you know. Okay. But we built like you know it was basically had like a Q and A section, like a private section where designers can come in and have a Q and A section. But I'll explain you how we did it. So basically, um, Esty she went out and she spent literally three months harvesting designers from all over the world. I'm talking about from all over the world, like from Jamaica, Japan, um, Norway. We, we had 200 designers enter into this challenge and we, we created a design brief. We said, okay, here's the concept of this, of this, of, of what we want to do. Here's the movement that we gave them. Obviously we gave them some technical aspects of what they need to get done mm -hmm. and 200 designers from 200 designers, we ended up with a hundred designers actually completing the challenge. Hmm. And from those hundred designers, we actually had to increase the winners from three winners to six winners. Hmm. 
because we had so many amazing designs. In fact, till today, we're working with these designers, these same original designers from eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, we're still working with them to further develop our collections and create new collections. So what, what, was, what was the reward to the six? So, yeah, so, so we gave, we had the, the first, the winner was a $5,000 cash reward. Number two was like a $3,000 cash reward plus like a Wacom tablets. We gave away a lot of stuff. But, you know, for a designer, you know, we were thinking, you know, we'll hire a designer. If I hire a designer, I have to pay that designer. I get one design, right? I don't get mm -hmm. options, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's going to take up a lot of my time. Even though the challenge took a lot of time to do it, again, it gave us a really wide mm -hmm. spectrum yeah. range of ideas and we gave we gave you know we had q a sections uh sessions we had um you know back and forth like we published all the questions that other designers had people sent us drafts like it was it was fully engaged six months of work but it was just six months of work and we knew that we were going to get we we're going to get something and the minute so, i saw the first watch i knew we had a winner like so i this, saw it i said we were this is a winner this is like 99 designs gx1 that's your first one yeah Yeah, it's actually, this happened actually in 2013, 2014. 2013, so, 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is the GX1 the Genesis X1? Yeah, yeah. So the, G, the, the, the basis of the brand's first collection came from the GX1, the one that you like, yeah. is our So we've come out with the Rebel collection. We have yeah. a P51, which is a more high-end titanium, but... Still, that first watch that was the winner of that challenge is still the core of our business till it's, today. It's a black one with the orange detail around. Exactly. That yeah. was the first watch, yeah. black with the orange detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, there's a lot to unpick from from your experience, <laughs> from what you just said. Uh, I'll go back to your You're quitting, um, you know, your job and then, you know, working with this company. I guess this company was a traditional watch company and they were pretty much reliant on retail distribution. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So they were, they were strictly focused on, on, on retails. They had distributors in other countries. They were focusing, they went to Basel, um, which is our, like, like the Mecca of all the watch industry where they get together. All distributors come from all over the world anything you could think of from the Philippines to, to Japan, to China, all those distributors would come there. And then they were, they were really running that like in the more of the traditional way. And to me, I thought because I had done e-commerce for 10 years and I saw the way, the way the new consumer was going. And, and once the smartphone started taking off um, and started becoming like a real viable way of purchasing And once we realized that's a Instagram and once Facebook's ads platform, once they opened up, that was it. I said, stores are dead. Yeah. And the faster the brands realize it and they change their model, the faster they'll be able to, um, they'll be able to, to, um, to change. I mean, the, the, they'll, they'll be able to survive. 100%. And if you see what Corona now, you see what's yeah. happening now. Yeah. I mean, you see, You see, Corona's bringing it to the forefront, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I hate to look like a genius that I came up with this idea in 2010 that we need to go online only and forget the stores. But in reality, I mean, it's a terrible thing what's happening to the world now. Um, but you see who's surviving, who's not surviving. Those who are yeah. focused online and they run their online are, are doing really, really well. And the ones <clears> that are just focused on, on the retail with, with the, with the walk-in shops, even yeah. if it is... A, uh, um, a concept store, they're suffering. 
Yeah, the, the imbalance is so severe that the UK government wants to introduce an online retail tax, which I feel is retrogressive. It's it's ridiculous, but that imbalance in terms of the winners and the gainers in, in you know in the past over the past four months is 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 as clear as, as night and day. Um, it's pure play e-commerce is really, you know really one of the beneficiaries of, of all of this. Okay, so. You, you launched a, a watch brand between 2000 and 2010. You, you shot it down due to, you know, the proliferation of or the dominance more or less of Amazon. Um, what was it like, you know, between 2000 and 2010, you know, running a watch brand? Was it on a on a platform on, you know, was it direct to consumer? Was it marketplace um, selling? Um, and how did you sort of establish a brand presence to, you know, watch, as you said, watches are not necessarily a, a, a need, they're a want. How did you sell between 2000? What were the major learnings in between for that decade? Right. So the brand actually launched in 2014, 2015. Okay. Um, from, from 2000 to, to 2010, my focus was e-commerce. Okay. Um, when we originally started, uh, you know, selling watches online, I was selling all the brands you could think of. I was selling them all. Ah, uh, okay. 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 I was not selling my own brand. I was selling okay. other, other brands. Okay. Um, you know, when I, we first got into it, Amazon was just doing books. Okay. Okay. In fact, when Amazon called us at one point and said to us, Hey, you know, we were opening up our platform to allow other vendors to come and sell their products. I laughed at them. Like you guys sell books. I sell watches. Mm. What are you talking about? Like, you know, <laughs> But that, but that's the idea. The idea was that we, I did, we, I, I did not realize the, you know, what their play was mm. until, until much further on down the line, where I realized what they were doing. That they were basically just, they were getting all these vendors to come in. They were, they were using a lot of technology, um, ease of use, the fast shipping. I mean, actually, the fast shipping came later. But I, you know, they, they, they weren't a dominant player from earlier on. But I did see what they were doing, and. What was interesting was that I always had the discussion. I said that, you know, this is like the elephant in the room. That's really, nobody realizes everybody's making money now with them, but eventually they're going to eat everybody up because yep. they're just too big. They're just too yep. big. Yeah. We can get it to Amazon because we, I mean, we're, we sell on Amazon, but it's not, it's, it's not a mainstay for us because, you know, it doesn't fit the brand's DNA. It's not the style. Like, again, we're not selling a commodity product. We're just selling a, a, a want product. And, okay. you know, we want to own not you don't use the word own, but we want to create those connections. We can get into that, but with Amazon, you don't have that. You just become yeah. a commodity. It's its own marketing, really, and and they they take, they strip it from you from email yeah. address, customer name, you know, all that to stripped off. Exactly, exactly. And for us, we know we're not looking to make the sale. For us, I mean, at Live, I mean, the concept was, and that's why we went to Kickstarter was to actually build a brand together with the people that love our okay. that love watches. Okay, fantastic. So. Now that um, you'd got this six designs, um, you'd seen um, GX. The GX one was your major, you know, major, um, you know, um, winner. Um, how did you launch it to Kickstarter in 2014? I think that Kickstarter campaign um, raised about 200k, which is the lowest as compared to all the other Kickstarters you've done. So you started out in Kickstarter in 2014. Um, could you just detail the journey, what you did sure. right and what you did wrong in 2014. Yeah. So I don't know if we did anything right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I think the idea for us to go into Kickstarter wasn't just about, about um, let's say, raising money. And I think that's a, that's a misconception, I think, for us at least, 
you know, when you have something that you want to, you want to launch to the world, you're trying to say to yourself, okay, how can I launch it to the world? Okay. How can I introduce this brand new item to the world? Like, where's my launch party? You know, I'm not going to rent space at a bar and invite all my friends and say, I'm launching a product. You know, it doesn't really do anything. Mm -hmm. So we looked at Kickstarter sort of our, you know, we are introducing live to the world using the Kickstarter platform. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I think it was really important for us, for us to, to kind of define who we are, what we stand for, why do we deserve to exist? Why should people invest their hard-earned money into a product? Why should they, why should they wait for the product, you know? And, and I think that's really, really important for anybody that's going to create a brand new brand. You have to clearly define, okay, listen, the business plans are great because, you know, you need to have some definitive defining but to the average person in the world like okay if you if you want a business plan because you want to raise money from an investor or from a bank or wherever it is you need that that's fine yeah. but if you have to let's say talk to the person and say hi my name is Chaz I'm a watch freak I love watches and this is what I've created you need to be able to do that and I think Kickstarter forces you to go out there and do that yeah. and that's why I felt Kickstarter was a great platform for that on top of that because the brand's idea and DNA was about creating connections and creating these strong, these strong bonds between the people that buy our products, it was important that they be involved from day one. And what greater platform than to go to Kickstarter where people are involved from day one where you're just looking at a sample. They're looking at a sample. There's no yeah. product yet. Yeah. And they're, they're work and, 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 Besides for them feeling the connection, we gain a lot from that because we, we got the feedback that brands could never get. Like, hey, I don't like the way you're doing this. You need to change that. Da, da, da. And this is, like, this is like golden nuggets just sitting on the street ready to be picked up. And by creating these connections, we're getting that feedback. Until today, a lot of our products, relaunches of our products is all based on, I would say, 90% of, the, of, that, of those changes that we do to the product and upgrades that we do to the product is based on those feedback that we get from the people that wear and love our watches. And we only get that feedback because they feel comfortable sending an email to Chaz or Esty saying, hey, we need a, I love your watches, but you need to do this, you need to do that. Like mm -hmm. There are companies out there that spend millions of dollars trying to get people to give them that kind of information. They run these quizzes and they run whatever they can. But in, in our sense, because we have those strong connections, we get them for free. I'm, I'm, I'm spotting a trend here, which is the ability to use the wisdom of the crowd, um, both at the back end, which is product design, and the front end, which is you know um, just getting product market fit and validation, as well as feedback. And that's how you're running the business. Is, is that correct? Or um, am I missing something else? Yeah, you're spot on. Okay. You're really, really spot on. Yes. So what were the steps? So strategically, you, you've answered that question excellently. Now, tactically, in your first campaign, this is 2014, Kickstarter works slightly different today um, in terms of dynamics or, you know, raising, you know, funds and actually launching a brand. Um, I do understand that um, the the market is the market, but what were the steps you, you, you took to setting everything up in, in Kickstarter to make it a success? What, what, do you, what would you say to that? Yeah, so I think, 
I mean, the first Kickstarter, to be honest with you, like we, we knew that we had to sort of, like I said, define who we are, mm-hmm. why our product is amazing, why people should invest in us, why should people be not just money invested, but emotionally invested. But we didn't know a lot. We didn't really, we knew that it was the right platform. Um, we did not hire an agency, which a lot of people, which is what, you know, now it's turned into a massive platform where there's agencies that specifically focus on Kickstarter campaigns. Mm-hmm. We did not hire an agency. All we did was we said, okay, we, we did some research. We looked at, you know, keeping in mind that back in 2015, you know, Kickstarter was sort of like a new and up and coming thing. Like it's, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't as commercialized. It wasn't as well known as it is today. It was like sort of Mm -hmm. like a sort of niche, like people like, Oh wow. You know, it was like the start of the GoFundMes and the, all those kind of campaign style um, uh, platforms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did some research, we looked at some other pages, we looked at successful projects, you know, what they did, how they outlined their pages, you know, what was their video? Like, what did the video contain? Like, what was the, like the intro? Like, you know, you know, how did they, how did they capture the audience? Like, what did we, but again, you know, we didn't really fully understand, you know, everything. Like we were still feeling our way around. Like we didn't have all the pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, like for example, you know, our goal was to hit $30,000 within the first couple of days, right? That was our goal. Our goal is to try to, because we knew that we had to get, in order to get traction, we knew that there had to be some buzz. And you can't get buzz when your campaign's like hovering at $5,000. Like you need to get to like $30,000. Mm-hmm. So we literally sent emails to all our friends and families, <laughs> literally. Yep. Yep. The first, their first $30,000 was literally friends and family. Some of them were like, Chaz, you're out of your mind. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just going to say that I did it, you know, yeah. just so, yeah. just so, you know, but most literally like we, we got a lot of like weird faces when people, when we told people what we're doing, they're like, what, <laughs> um, you know, some were a little more brutally honest than others, but to be honest with you, like I had never, I didn't have any doubt. And I think it's important, you know, I would tell any entrepreneur, anybody that's going to create their own product. You cannot have any, you should have little doubt. Because yeah. little doubt is important or else you just, you know, you, um, but if you really believe in what you're doing, um, I would not take any advice from anybody except for somebody who's actually done what you're planning on doing. Exactly. exactly. So like if you, if, like I would not ask a school teacher <laughs> if I should launch a brand. <laughs> no. I would not. Yeah. So, but but, but, you know, we had great friends and family and they, and they, they, they did help us out. I think a lot of them thought it was charity. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and I, I spotted ta- a pattern here. We had the founder of um, another brand called Unbound Merino come on to the show. They do like cashmere t-shirts for men and um, they're quite high end and they launched their brand via Kickstarter. And he said, look, man as in no via via indiegogo and if they didn't hit the traction they were meant to hit which was i think about twenty thousand dollars within the first three days um they were not going to get featured or any other thing like that so they had to get family and friends and um, he said he just picked up an email address he picked up like 200 people he he did videos basically to 200 of his friends and family on facebook and um, just explained what how they needed to support you know um the the indiegogo campaign and, and that just gave them the propulsion they needed to at least get it in the faces of more people and when they hit that threshold they just started to notice you know um 
they couldn't recognize the names again of their backers and they knew they had traction. So it is something you have to do. And I really wanted to ask you that question so that listeners understand that, you know, what it takes to get something off the ground, especially a brand new brand. No one knows a brand new brand. Yeah. No one knows um, on, on a crowd crowdfunding platform. So thank you for sharing that. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, and also like, for example, we knew that if we wanted to go to, pr- to the press, like none of the press would listen to us unless we had a substantial amount of money. We were able to have like a, they, they all want headlines. Mm-hmm. They all want to say new Swiss watch, you know, raises $30,000 in 48 hours. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. you yeah. can't say, you know, new Swiss watch, you know, raises $10,000 in six days. You, you've got to give them the story. You've got to give you them, give the, them story. the story. You know, exactly. they want to write, they're looking for yeah. content, yeah. but they have to be able to, to, to wow their, their, their readership. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just looking at the, the original kicks. Well, the first Kickstarter campaign, the inaugural one, and um, the page is amazing. I'm sharing it. If you're on, um, on the YouTube channel, um, this is just freaking well laid out. Um, you know, black, it's very well on brand. The video is really nice. Um, and then your rewards, let's talk about your rewards. Um, you, you, you cycling shirts, um, was there, <laughs> why, how, um, why, you know, is this, could you explain why cycling shirts were part of a reward? So you had, um, a $25 one, which is just a cycling shirt. So if you, if you, if you support it with $25, you get a cycling shirt or Jersey rather cycling tea. Leave tea, cycling jersey, a cycling kit. To, to any of you, any of you into cycling, or did you spot a niche in terms of cyclists are more likely to um, wear live watches? I don't get it. Okay, I'll explain to you. First of all, my second passion is well, is cycling. Okay, all right. So I have I have two passions, you know, besides for my kids and my family, mm. obviously, is watches and cycling. Mm. And the reason why we did that is because I have a lot of cycling friends. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them maybe didn't, were not into watches. They wouldn't want to buy watches. But my goal was not only to get the $30,000, but to get a certain amount of backers. Mm-hmm. So I was like, guys, just buy a t-shirt. I don't care what you buy, you know, buy a cycling kit, just buy something. Cause I need the backer number to be high. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was all about. It was really just about giving, get, you know, if you ask me today, obviously I would never do that. <laughs> but at that point, <laughs> yeah, at that point, it just, I was just trying to figure out how do I get more backers? Some people are not going to spend, listen, it's not a cheap product and it's no. not, it's a well-made expensive product. Not every one of my friends and family, um, are going to spend, you know, $400, mm. you know, some of them, I want to spend 25. So all my cycling friends bought their cycling. They bought my cycling shirts and my cycling t-shirts. And that just raised the amount of backer numbers. And you could use, numbers. you could use the watches for, for scuba diving, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't suggest. And we hey, we did we did one thousand water resistance, um, yeah. only because you know it, it, it's we we were looking for like selling points. You know, one thousand okay. water resistance, screw down crown. I mean, it, it's a little bit overly built this watch, mm-hmm. but we were looking for, for you know for pointers of what we could yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, looking back at this page, because I haven't seen this page, honestly, in like 10, five years. <laughs> so looking back at this page, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it. I, I appreciate the compliment, but yeah. to be honest with you, like, it's we, we've come such a long way. You've come such a long way. We'll look at the yeah, other pages yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not to embarrass you, but, but it looks still looks good. Um, yeah. What about um, the the press? Um, did you, did, were you proactive with press coverage, or um, did, did that just come naturally? 
Yeah, we were proactive. So Esty was really the one that was handling a lot of the press. Like she was just hounding them, like sending them. Like, you know, she's she's literally like that. You know, she could, she, she you just literally, like I said before, you give her a task and I'm really lucky that I have, you know, you know, everybody needs to have their skill stack, but you know, there's a limit to what one person could do. And if we would hire an agency, I never liked the word agency anyways, because I always felt like agencies were just... Uh, I'm not bragging on agencies in general, but I'm just saying like agencies, like they're looking for clients, you know, you know, it's a numbers game for them. And, and, you know, I'm looking for more of the, I would say, um, personal kind of thing. And you lose that, you know, once, once you're an agency within an agency for a year, you lose that. But anyway, so she was the one that was focusing strictly on the press. Again, we were lucky because we were working with this other brand that launched that we launched that product for them online that we had a lot of those connections with press because they were telling us where to connect to the press. Okay. Like they were giving us a lot of the list. Um, but you know, all we did was for the most part, we just went online and we, we started looking for like, okay, who's talking about watches? Like what websites are talking about watches? We went on to, you know, Reddit or we went on to all these different platforms to try to figure who's talking about watches, you know, where are people linking and stuff like that. And then we just came up with a list. And then we found if you go onto any, any website, any big watch blog, and, and you could see like you know, sometimes they have authors, um, sometimes they have guest authors. And we just started yeah. personally contacting them, say, hey, I'm going to send you a watch. You know, can you review the watch, take a look at it? And, you know, I had a great product, so I felt totally confident, you know, sending, sending watches to people. And again, you know, once we hit that $30,000 and we had a nice number of backers, it was a lot easier to talk to these people. They were interested in looking for the story and we were able to get, we were able to get some press. We spent zero on advertising. Interesting. So, so no Facebook promotion, nothing. No, there was, we didn't spend any money on Facebook ads, the first campaign. Okay. Okay. And it was strictly, it was 100% organic. The only thing we did was we got, we got, we got, um, we got a direct message from this guy who's running one of these um, watch influencers, Instagram watch influencers. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Hey, if if you give me 500 bucks, I'll post, I have like 2 million followers. And Mm -hmm. And uh, SDX asked me, what do you think we should do? I was like, it's 500 bucks. This was a lot of money for us. Yeah. You know, we were working on a tight budget. Um, and he's like, listen, I promise you, you're going to get sales from it. And we gave him 500 bucks. He posted. And I think it was like somewhere between that, the 10 to $15,000 attribution for that 500 bucks. Nope, That's not bad got. at all. Not bad at no, all. Not bad at all. I mean, no. since then it's over, but I'm saying influencers are over yeah. because of Facebook, you know, once Facebook launched there, <laughs> You know, they integrated Instagram into their advertising platform. That went that went bye bye. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So so super super interesting. You hit your targets. Um. Do you mind me asking what the total sort of capital outlay was for for um for Project One on on Kickstarter? For the Kickstarter campaign itself, I think we spent somewhere around ten thousand dollars. If it's I not correctly. bad with, with a lot of passion. See so see where that took. Yeah. You. Um, yes. Yeah. So we spent, we spent $10,000, but we had a lot of upfront cost as far as the product is perspective. Like for example, you know, you know, you have to pay tooling fees, um, you know, uh, to, to get, let's say for example, our straps, we had to spend $5,000 just to get the strap tooling. So mm-hmm. we spent on the product itself, we probably spent another $20,000. So we're probably out around somewhere around $30,000. What about the designers? Did you not pay the, the designers? Yeah, yeah. So like $5,000 for the designers. I'm just saying we had out probably about another $20,000 that was out on credit cards or whatever. So like a 50K spend all in all, all in. If uh, in uh, yeah, a little less than that. Okay, okay. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. 
it's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. And if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made the first purchase, how do you keep them coming back again? That's what Clavio is for. Clavio is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your contact list, send memorable emails, automate key messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why over 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chobby's, Brooklyn Inn, and Living Proof use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat customers or sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less dependent on third-party ads. Whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. It's free to get started. So visit klaviyo.com 2x to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash 2x. All right. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you, you don't, you've launched four successful Kickstarter campaigns. Have you ventured into other platforms like Indiegogo? Has it been strictly Kickstarter? And why Kickstarter? Why the choice for Kickstarter? Yeah. So the first time we ran, our, when the first campaign that we ran, we ran strictly on Kickstarter. When Kickstarter was over, we're like, okay, whew, you know, we got, you know, we got the $200,000 or close to it. And then we started working on the production, like actually making things happen, you know, mm. we, you know, we were kind of limited, like we couldn't really do anything because I mean, $200,000 is money. But again, the product, the product was really expensive. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was overly built. Like we were just, we, our main focus was to make sure that the product was so good. Um, and so, and, and, and what we didn't want, we knew that, you know, if we want to be online, reputation is going to be super important. Yeah. We got to make sure that the reviews are like kick ass and that, uh, and that people are going to be super happy with the product that they get. So we, we spent a lot of money on products. So the first three, four months, you know, we started, we, we, we were just, right after the campaign was over, we were focusing on getting the product. We got to get it on time. We got to get it back, you know, because we wanted to make sure, you know, that we could go back on the Kickstarter. So we really focused everything on the product. And then, you know, once we had the campaign and we had reached $200,000 or close to $200,000, you know, we started, you know, we built our first website. We built it very simply. We didn't have a lot of, we had to pre-sell. We were pre-selling um, and we built it on, uh, I think it was WooCommerce we built it on. Um, very simple website. We only had one product with a bunch of colors. Um, and of course the cycling stuff. (laughs) Okay. And then, and then your production, um, was, was, was the money enough to sort of, um, you know, get your, your first run of product, your first production run and also run the business and, um, what the posts, um, campaign sales look like Were you getting a trickle of, um, sales coming through as a result of the initial burst from the campaign. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, when, once you get the press, you know, someone might not read, you know, the campaign was 30 days, but your articles about the campaign are there for a very, very long time. Mm. So people were still talking about us. We were still on Instagram trying to push. We were still using some influencers, um, to, uh, to push the product, to push it. So we we were selling. So by, you know, we sold, you know, our, our minimum order quantity for the first production was 500 pieces. So we sold the 500 pieces and then we had to reorder another 500 pieces. And so we used a lot of that money. No, money was really, really tight then, like really tight, Hmm. you know, but, uh, Uh, but you, you, you eventually made it work. 
Um, so, so, um, what was the, 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 what was the lead time the, the, you know, you, you gave customers and what was the lead time the, the factory gave you and did it all come to, to, to as planned eventually in, in terms of delivery? Because that's a big problem on Kickstarter. That is not a big not, problem. Not every product, you know, ever comes to fruition and no one, hardly anybody gets their money back. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately there's a lot of these, you know, these campaigns that fail mm -hmm. and, and, you know, for the most part is because, you know, the campaign, the campaign part is important, but it's not as important as making sure that you have all your eggs lined up for the post campaign and how your production is going to happen. You know, I was involved in production, so I knew all the pieces, you know, that you need to do. And I think it's important if anybody's going to back a campaign on Kickstarter, you have to understand who these people are like coming up with a concept and getting a prototype. It means nothing. If you have no idea of like what production is the, you know, the, the pitfalls um, of product, you know, in production, like what happens delays, you know, how all these pieces come together, you know, we're you, we're using, for example, we use sometimes nine different suppliers, to make one watch, you know, one guy makes the movements, one guy makes the hands. In other words, we have all these different pieces. All, all in Switzerland, all, all Switzerland. All in Switzerland, yeah. I mean, some components, like rough components, like blanks, the case blanks, still come from uh, China. Okay, okay, amazing. But, but all precision, but all precision, assembled, all precision stuff. Assembled yes. in, in Switzerland. Exactly, so, all so precision how, components come from Switzerland. Okay, so, so how do you, how do you still, get to that price point is it challenging as a yeah, company yeah it's very challenging and in fact the, the swiss have made it even harder because you know we're we're i mean that's one of the biggest struggles that we have right now is is components because um, there is a monopoly in switzerland um, owned by the big conglomerates that own a lot of the big brands that you see out there are owned by one conglomerate mm -hmm. and and they make a lot of the components that we need to make our watches, but at the same time, you know, we're not a big threat to them, but they do see us as a competition and we are taking market share from them. There's a value chain ownership there. You know, um, it's like sunglasses, you know, um, where, where you look at many sunglasses and it's the same company in Italy. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's a little bit different only because, okay. um, you know, sunglasses is like one person's making the sunglasses from beginning to end. In this mm. case, I'm cherry picking, my my suppliers for all the different components and then i have an assembler that does my assembly mm. Mm. but i will tell you that the, the reason why we we you know we can be profitable at the price point that we are is because we don't have the layers that those other companies have and they run their operation very differently like you know i see on your wall it says they're 2x you know we have yeah. a wall you know so that you know you, your e-commerce and that's where you're focusing you're focusing like yeah. how much money am i putting out you know, and how much am I getting back? And yeah. we focus a lot on that. Like we focus yeah. a lot on how much money we can get back. But again, like I said, the other, the manufacturers have layers and that's how they're built. They've been, they've been built with these layers for the past century. Mm. You know, they, they, you know, there's the manufacturer, there's a distributor, there's a retailer, and then there's a customer. And sometimes there might even be two distributors within a country. Mm. All those people need a piece of the pie. Mm. And for us, we just, take that all out. Like, you know, it's very, very common. You see today is the direct to the consumer yeah. and our model is much stronger. So we have, we have, you know, we have our brand DNA and I don't know if you, I don't know if you're going to ask this question or not, but I'll get into it. You know, our brand DNA is about creating these connections yeah. and, and with these strong connections, you get 
very personal information about the people. You know what they like. There's a lot of data that's that that you get from them. You know whether it's you know whether it's different types of emails and and our repeat customer rate is close to forty percent. Well, for a wristwatch, that's that's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Most of the people, anybody who buys one of my watches is in the market for another one of our watches. You're 40% likely to come back again. Correct. Insane. To buy, to buy, to, to buy. buy again. Yeah. To buy again. To buy yeah. again. Yeah. yeah whether, it, it, whether, over, it's, whether over what time frame? over what time frame? I would say over a, over a two year period. Well, well, incredible. Okay. So there's the utilities there. Um, I've, I've got the satisfaction from owning and wearing the watch that I want to get another one to replenish that, that utility, that satisfaction. Amazing. Right, but that, but that comes from the connections that we create and these yeah. are true, authentic connections that we create. Yeah. You know, all the emails that come out of our, out of our brand come from me or SD or a team member or a person. There's mm-hmm. no like, there's no company email. There's no info is really for post-sale service. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it has nothing to do. Like when we, when, when we launch new products, first of all, again, the connections create a lot of feedback. The feedback gives us ideas of what we need to do, what we need to change, how to improve the products. But then also these strong connections, when I say, Hey guys, I'm going to be launching this new watch. Da, 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 they jump on it. They want to be part of it. They feel like they're part of the family. They feel like they're part of the brand. They want to be part of our history and they want to own every single one of our watches. Now, not everybody can afford to own every single one of our watches, mm-hmm. but the idea that we're trying to create is that you should want to own every single one of our watches. Okay. Okay. Now I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to jump into the marketing. I just want to wrap up on crowdfunding and then we'll jump into the marketing about the connections because that's what you said, you know, really, really caught my attention. Now, since um, the Genesis X1, you've you've done the Genesis X1A. um, You've done- That was our uh, first automatic watch. Okay, fantastic. You've done a a, a GXP51 and um, I don't know what the other one's called. The other one was the Rebel. The rebel. Okay, how has 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 Kickstarter evolved? Um, one of one of the um, campaigns you did raised one point one million dollars. Another one point seven. Another eight hundred thousand. Um, over those those experiences with campaign launches. Um, obviously, have you gotten your friends and families involved, or did you just no. use your base? Um, what yes. what should we know um, about um, Kickstarter now in twenty twenty? Yeah. So the first campaign, like I said, we had no idea. We were, we call like greenhorns, totally, total novices, had no idea what we were doing. We were just feeling around. We had, you know, we, we had some really good luck. Um, um, and I think the, uh, the next campaign is where we really got introduced to, okay, so how do we scale this? Okay. So we have a good concept. We have the idea. We have a good following. We knew that our base loved what we were doing. They loved the connections that we were creating. We knew that a lot of the people would want to come back for our second watch. And a lot of the reason for the second watch was based on the feedback that people got on the first watch. They said, okay, we love your watch, but it's a quartz watch. We love automatic watches. You got to make an automatic watch. We don't like it. We want it a little bit smaller. So we took a lot of the feedback. We said, okay, we're going to, you know, we, we need our base to be there. Because if we get our base to come in, um, that means we could do 100,000 in the first day, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, if we take so we basically worked for about, I would say close to a year on this new project on on this on this on this new thing, and and then we said okay, so get get we got our base now. How are we gonna how do we go how do we go above our base? How do we how do we get more people involved in this? 
And that's when Facebook ads really started clicking, started, mm. you know. So, you know, I got introduced to, 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 to a Facebook marketer that What's does, his name? his name is Adam, his name is Adamus. Adamus, okay. Adamus, yeah. Okay. Um, super cool guy. Um, I reached out to him. I said, listen, you know, we had a successful campaign. We're about to launch a new campaign. You know, what, what do we need to do? You know, we have the product down. We have our photography. You know, we know how important photography is. We have the video. Like, what do we need to do to scale this thing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gave us a, like, like a brief outline of what you need to do. You know, the, you know, the want, creating those, con- creating those, you know, you have to create like a, a, a strong, like um He's the he's the one that introduced us to the idea that you cannot just launch the product and say I'm alive. You have to get you have to get the audience warmed up. Like you need a warm up, or you have to invest in warming up your audience or potential audience, um, so that you can really blow it up the first day. If you want to blow it up the first day, that means you got to start your marketing, your advertising spend. Like to us, was very foreign. Like we're advertising to like a landing page to just collect emails. Like, yes, we're going to, we're not going to sell them anything. We're going to give them just a sliver of what we plan on doing. We're telling them it's the next best thing in the watch industry. We're going to revolutionize this. Do you want to be part of it? And he's the one that really introduced us to this, to the, to this, to this format. And we use that same format in all our subsequent uh, campaigns. Okay. Okay. So, so how long did you need to warm up the the audience before you 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 know you got them you, before you, you you gave them that push into Kickstarter and what kind of you know um, email list or you know what kind of audience size were you looking to to warm up? Yeah. So the email list was basically when we were trying to figure out. I mean, listen. If you if you have unlimited amount of budget, then obviously you know uh, you could just spend and just collect as many emails as you want. But the, for us, it was very very important besides for collecting the email is to kind of get them excited about what we're planning on doing them, mm-hmm. like introducing, like, you know, we had a, we had a, I think it was like a seven or eight part series email for anybody mm-hmm. that signed up that talked about who we are a little bit, everything that we're discussing now, like how we launched the brand and what we plan on doing and how we're revolutionizing and how, how we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to blast our way into this, into this watch industry, you know, doing things the new way and stuff like that and getting them all pumped up and excited. And it was like a seven part or eight part series email. And that's what really got, um, that got the base excited. That got these people excited. Like it wasn't like, I think it wasn't just collecting emails saying, Oh, you're in, you know, yeah. it was more like, Hey, you know, my name is Chaz. I want to introduce myself. I'm a watch freak like you. You love watches. I love watches. I'd love to hear about your collection starting, starting already, even before this campaign even started, starting already to, to, you know, create conversations with these people. Yeah. And, you know, and then like last email was like, are you in, you know, but these are authentic. These are really like, I don't think you can fake your way through these things. You know, the new mm-hmm. consumer is way too smart. Like you really have to be authentic. Like I said, you know, I've loved watches since I was 10 year old, you know, and it's been my passion. Uh, so like you really have to believe in what you're doing because people can really sniff you out if you're just like trying to sell garbage, you know? Yep. Makes sense. So, so uh, from a time frame perspective, we, we, we ran this campaign four weeks before the campaign even started. So one month, and for us, it was like a huge amount of money. Like we spent like $10,000 on just capturing emails. Like we had no sales. And did, you show, did you show the products and the campaigns or um, how, how did yeah. you? 
was, was there a big reveal? So how, how was a big reveal, a big reveal if he'd already pre-shown the, the products you know, in the ads? Yeah, so the idea was not to show everything because if you show everything, you kind of lose the excitement in it. Yeah. It's sort of like an unveiling. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we, we, you know, if you didn't get my sixth email, you didn't know, you weren't hundred percent sure, like 100%, but you, you, the idea was to keep you engaged throughout this series of emails. And then at some point I would reveal it I'm like, okay, are you in? What do you think about this? And then like, you get these emails back I'm in, I can't wait, Chaz, we're going to, we're going to crush this. You know, this is like team effort here. You know, mm-hmm. that was the idea is, is how we're going to, how we're going to, how we're going to crush this together. Amazing. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And then you, you, you probably hit, you hit your targets with well within the, the three day time frame, and then you, you blew up. Would you attribute, um, most of the seven figures you raised in the other three campaigns, um, to, to this activity or did this activity get you the momentum to blow up within Kickstarter? No, I think I think the I, I think a lot of the, the the core of these campaigns were how well we did on the pre-launch. Okay, 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 makes sense. And yeah, then you were yeah. more active with press and. Well, the press, the press, that campaign actually was really interesting because I woke up one morning and the campaign was somewhere around eight hundred thousand dollars, or seven hundred thousand dollars, and all of a sudden I woke up in the morning it was nine hundred thousand dollars. We got two hundred thousand dollars in 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 sales overnight, and that's because some big. Um, financial website in Sweden, out of all places, picked us up and had us on the homepage saying this company, you know, you know, it was a story like saying, yeah. you know, and then, and then all of a sudden we had $200,000 in sales from Sweden. And once we had $200,000, our goal was like, how do we get to a million? We got to get to a million because the million was the number to say, if you could say you're a million dollar Kickstarter campaign, you know, you're probably in the top, you know, 1% or 2% of the total campaigns that have hit a million dollars. So that was, that was, you know, I wasn't hundred percent sure we were going to hit a million dollars. We were doing great. The pre-launch was great. People, you know, people were excited about the product. It was just, it was our first automatic watch. The price was incredible. Like Mm. we we literally gave the thing away. Wow. I don't want to say gave it away because, you know, you know, we, we, Again, like it's important, you know, that when you were selling a product, we're not just we're not just selling the product. Like here, here's the product. We provide a lot of after sales service. We provide a lot of things. You know, like a car needs service. We need watch service. Like you need certain. You need to have money. And I would tell you, everybody who's running a campaign, that if you think that you're going to run a campaign and not make any profit on the campaign, it's going to fail. Even if you have all your other eggs in place, you need to make sure there's enough profit. You need to you need to make sure that your value proposition is strong enough that you you could make a product a profit. Yeah. Because you cannot run these campaigns without making money. If you run them without making money, they're going to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you made a profit. Okay, um, pretty solid information on the crowdfunding, you know, um, side of things. Now let's talk about um, marketing and your concept of creating connections. Um, so, what would you say is the core of marketing a direct to consumer brand in 2020, and you know, going forward over the next decade? As far as like one one piece of advice, or so. So you, you touched upon you on uh, you touched upon the concept of creating deep connections. I, I I really like you to sort of unpick, you know, what connections are. You know, what what, what are connections, and you know, how does it re, how how do you create these connections? Sure. So I mean, connections is another word for relationships. Yeah. So the the idea is how to create these strong connections within a relationship. Mm. Um, I mean, every brand has a relationship with 
the people that buy the product. But the question is, how do you create these strong connections um, with the people that wear your product? You know, sometimes you buy a product and your product breaks. You now have a relationship with the brand for not a good reason, for a negative reason. Yeah. So, so the idea for us was in all the language that we use, um, the style of communication that we use is very personal. It's on a first name basis. You know, we focus on, you know, how are you, John? You know, how are you doing? How's everything? Or our little tidbits of, let's say, my personal life or what's going on in my personal life. Hey, I just went camping. How's your weekend going? Da, 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 da. Like people, at least in my category, you know, besides, you know, they want to understand like who I am, what I'm doing, and I want to understand what they're doing. I want to understand what, you know, what, what tickles them, you know, what, what gets them going. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that language that we use in the communication, the style of communication is, is, is emphasizes on how we can create um, a bond. And, and, you know, internally we, you know, we talk about, you know, how a, you know, customer is not a, you know, customer, like we say, we have a tagline here on the wall that says, you know, customer is a dirty word. What's a customer? Your customer just means that someone's giving you money for exchange of a product, but we're not exchanging uh, money for product. You know, we're not doing that. You know, we're, we're, we're going beyond that. We're creating relationships. And it just so happens to be that we both have uh, an affinity to a similar product. Like I love watches and you love watches and I'm filling a want that you have. And, and, and you guys are giving us the opportunity to create products that I love that I love to wear, enjoy every day. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm living my dream by creating the products and you guys are, you know, helping me do that. At the same time, I'm able to, to provide something that's really unique and interesting for you guys. What is your most effective communication channel? I would say email. Mm. Mm. I would say email right. is number one. And now SMS is becoming quite strong for us. Okay. So, so what platforms do you use to manage email and SMS? So our email... Um, I don't want to use the word blast because we don't do blast. We do, we, no. we use, yeah. So we don't do any blast. So we, we have, we have a highly segmented, our, our email list is very, very segmented. Like we have like groups, like we have, I think we have up to like six or seven different groups. So let's say our email list is, let's say over 150,000 people that have subscribed That's to our same. email list. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, but I would say maybe only 90,000 actually we communicate with or engaged. Okay. I'm engaged with, and, and, mm. and we look at email as more of a conversation. So we don't look at it as like, Hey, here, here's what I have to say. What do you, you know, take it or leave it. It's more of like a conversation. So, so we use a lot of metrics to kind of figure out and we use this, we use our platform. We use this Clavio. I'm sure you heard of it. Yep. Um, sponsors yeah. of this podcast. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Mm. It's, it, they're awesome people. I mean, we, we, we got on board like almost three years ago already. Mm. Um, when they were early on, we were looking for a platform. We were looking for something that would fit the brand and how we plan on doing things. And they were a great fit because we had moved to Shopify and their connection with Shopify is superb. And uh, so, so I would say email is number one, but SMS is becoming quite strong for us. Mm -hmm. um, like, uh, for example, like, you know, post-sale, um, like let's say, for example, someone that buys a product from us, they'll automatically get a text from me which, which we can answer. And I answer all the time, by the way. Whoa, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm highly engaged with a lot of the people that buy our products. And okay. I know a lot of people like they call and I answer the phone. Like you see my phone ringing. That was a regular cust That was a regular fan, no customer. Mm. That was a fan calling. Yeah. And I'll pick up the phone. Like if, if it rings twice, I'll just pick up the phone in case you know, someone else is busy here. 
Um, and that's because I love, you know, part of my day, I would say probably about 40% of my day is really communicating with people that buy and wear our products. That's really important for me because that like that unfiltered feedback that I get from the people that buy our products is so important for the growth, the organic growth of our brand. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so SMS is doing really, really good because again, when people reply to emails, even though, even though like our emails come like very personal, like they have my signature on the bottom and they come from my email address. Um, it's still, you know, replying to email, they're not hundred percent sure, but with an SMS, they feel like they are talking to me or they're talking to somebody and they're getting a response right away. Where do you collect mobile numbers, cell numbers, um, from, do you have like, um, you know, um, pop-ups on, on the site or would it be post, yeah. would it be uh, checkouts where they enter their, their cell phone numbers? Yeah. So obviously with checkout, that's easy because, you know, we start the conversation immediately. So, you know, it's, you know, SMS, you have to be a little careful with because not everybody feels comfortable getting text messages from a brand, mm -hmm. even though they might be close with the brand. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say, for example, like post-sale, like I said, we have a, we have an automated uh, message that goes out. It's, you know, and it comes from me, but it is automated. Um, that says, Hey, thank you for your purchase. I'm so stoked. You can get your watch. I can't wait. Da, da, da. By the way, here's your order number. Just in case you, 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 you know, you didn't get the email or whatever. And a lot of you respond, Oh, cool. Chaz. I can't wait to get my watch. Da, da, da. And then that's a conversation. So if they ever get another, another text message, it's not weird because they, we've already started this conversation. Uh, we do collect some with pop-ups. I'm not a big fan of pop-ups. I feel like it interferes a lot with the website. Um, it cheapens a little bit slightly. They are effective, but you know, we're, 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 that's a big, that's a big challenge for us to try to figure out how to collect more data, you know, more, you know, more touch points to the people that love our product without being intrusive. Super interesting. Um, so we, amongst this segment, how do you automate the communication with the customers and remain authentic and true to self? Um, well, segmentation is, is a huge part of it. Like yeah. understanding where the conversation is. Like, you know, I just, you know, I say hi to you, you say, you know, back to me and then our relationship is nurtured. You know, at some point, if you lose interest in our conversation, I can't continue that conversation as if you haven't fallen off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or, you know, then I have to change my, you know, my, my, my tone cannot, cannot stay the same. The tone has to be a little bit different because now I'm trying to get you back into the conversation to talk. You know, if you, if you stop opening my emails and you stop visiting my website, you know, that's a sure sign that you've fallen off. Even if you've purchased or haven't purchased, you know, our relationship is changing. Our connection is moving in different directions. Some are getting stronger and some are getting weaker. And our goal is the whole time is to re-engage those people, find, you know, what, 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 what they're interested in and why. And we actually have, you know, a big part. We actually have a girl that's, that, that's working with me right now is to figure out how to segment those different you know, the, the different areas of where people are, like, you know, we use sort of like these little boxes that say, you know, you know, uh, I'm a high roller, you know, like I'll buy every single watch you have. I'm, I'm a one-time buyer. I'm a this, you know, trying to figure out these relationships again, you know, we're trying to scale this. So we have to use technology and data to figure out where these relationships are and how to nurture them. So you have email flows for, for each of these segments, I would of think. Course. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Email flows and the conversation's different and, and you know, they, they you know, the, you know, someone who, who's disengaged, you know, um, you know, won't get like, you know, like, Hey, we're doing a sample sale now, you know, yeah. the, I, like the relationships beyond that, like we have to bring them back we have to figure out like what, you know, what it is, okay. you know, luckily, like I said, we have a really good um, response rate and customer repeat rate. 
So, you know, we're doing a lot, but it, but it is something we work on all the time. Do, do members of this segment or, you know, customers know themselves as a community? Do you have any community, any, any leave watches, you know, community? That's something we're working on now, actually. I think it's really, really important to have this because, you know, we have a huge huge audience of people that like our watches, but we haven't figured out yet. Like we're, we started a group, a Facebook group. Um, and then if you're a live owner, we call the live owner circle. Mm-hmm. And if you're an owner, you're allowed, like it's like, it's a private sort yeah. of like uh, like a Facebook group. So we're starting that Facebook group. Um, we are doing within that live owner circle. Well, I'll give you another example about live owner circle and how we segment. Like for example, when we launch a product, if you're not an owner of one of our watches, you get your, you'll be like second or third to be notified. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So we have like, we have like when we do releases of new product, people that have already invested in our brand, we have great connections with, they will get first dibs on all new products that we launch. Yeah. Which, which, which is very, very important, you know, um, very important because yeah. I mean, those are the people that, that have invested in our brand. Um, and so they, they, you know, we can't treat, I mean, listen, we love everybody. We want everybody to be an owner, but, you know, live owners are always true to heart, you know, because they're the ones that actually invested in the brands. Super interesting. Okay. Um, other question I have is um, in, in regards to um, your tech stack. No, let's just, yeah, your tech stack. Um, obviously, you're running on Shopify now. Um, you have Clavio. Are there any very important um, technology solutions you rely on um, or that you think you you cannot sort of live without at the, at yeah. the moment? Yeah, there's another platform that we use that I abs- absolutely love and adore. It's called Front App. Okay. Um, it's sort of like our hub, our communication hub. So email, um, chat, SMS, WhatsApp, um, Twitter, Facebook, everything comes in there and that's how we communicate. And it sort of ties all the people together so we can see all the conversations that people are having. Everybody in the team could see all the conversations they're having. So if someone contacts us with Facebook, because again, the people are using different mediums to contact us. It's important for us to understand where that person is at that moment. And by having everything feed into this one system, yeah. um, it allows us to, to communicate better. So like if someone jumps in on a conversation, they'll already know that, okay, this person con- contacted us on Twitter. Um, this person, you know, you'll be able to bring their whole profile together. Okay. And then what about push notifications? Am I, I just signed up to your push notifications on site. To, to, how do you use them um, for, for communication? Yeah, so it's really just a one-way communication because no one can really respond to a, to a push mm-hmm. notification. Mm-hmm. So we usually, like for product launches or like back in stock for very, very like a very, uh, you know, in our top selling products, if they go out of stock, we'll do like a lot of push notifications for that. But it's mostly for like product release and um, like new blogs or a podcast or somewhere we're featured or something we find, you know, some of our, some of our subscribers might be interested in. Okay. My final question has got to do with um, where you are as a business now. Um, are you a, a, a seven figure business? Are you a 10, fig, yeah. you know, eight figure business? Where, where, where are you? Yeah, we're, we're a seven figure business. Awesome. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and, and again, like the, you know, the, <laughs> A lot of people talk about like, you know, where you are from a number perspective. And for mm. us, um, what the number that we, the number that we see, obviously we want to grow. We want to be, mm. we, we want to scale the business, but for us, it's very important to, 
to scale, but at the same time, try to figure out how to keep. And we understand that there's going to be some loss in customer repeat, like what people are going to buy again and again and again as as your as your as your base grows. Um, that number is going to come down. But our our goal is to try to keep that as high as possible. Yeah. And I like the fact that I think you need to just explain to me why you refer to yourselves as a micro brand crafting precision. Um, Has that got to do with the appeal of watch enthusiasts that, um, you know, want that uniqueness, they want that, you know, craftsmanship, you know, from with history and with, with attention to detail. Why do you call yourself a micro brand? Yeah. So it's really interesting because the word micro brand, and we've had this discussion internally also like the word micro, Mm -hmm. um, what does that entail? What does it mean? Like at what point are you not micro anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, the, 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 the bottom line is that for us is that we're, we're a small operation in the sense that we, we don't produce a ton of watches. You know, we're, our, our production is not huge. Um, we sell, you know, crafted, unique products. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's more like a personal, like I, I, I want to say like an artisan yeah. uh, style, um, you know, so from a product perspective, you know, we have, we do a lot of one-off products that, you know, no one will ever see again. And again, a lot of the people that buy our watches are buying them because they want that unique thing and they want to be able to go to a coffee shop with their buddies and their buddies should recognize that they're wearing something different. Especially I'm sure their buddies are also into watches because watch geeks hang out with watch geeks. So, you know, they're all trying to up their friends and not going to up their friends with another Rolex because they've seen them all already. Yeah. I think That's, we've had this that, conversation. That, yeah, that was my exact appeal to, to Live Watches when, when I came across and engaged with um, with the brand. Um, and that's why I decided to to follow, um, you know, the brand on Instagram. That's why I'm going to buy one anyway. Huh. <laughs> we'll talk about it. You have to. Yeah, I'm, I, I will. And by the way, when you, when you buy one of our watches, and yeah. it's something that's interesting because I always felt um, that you know, the, the, the transaction receipt, like you finally, like, could you imagine, like, if you think of it in terms of, you know, you're, we're, we're, we're dating, I don't use the word dating, but I'm saying you're developing this relationship and someone finally pulls the trigger and buys one of our beautiful watches and they just get a transactional email, like a common transactional email. I always felt that was like the weirdest thing. Like, what do you mean? Like nobody's excited that I just, that I just took the plunge that I bought one of your watches. Mm. And if you buy one of our watches, you will see the email that you got. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is, it's not your traditional transactional email. I promise you it's in the live format of a guy. Hey, you know, you'll see it. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to. You're getting me excited now. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not your common, like it won't be your typical Shopify transactional email. And I think that's important because you know, someone's taken the plunge and, and invested in your product. Um, not just money, but emotionally, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not a need product. It's a want product. So yeah. they had to have developed a want to make it. And they finally did it. Transactional email. Very important for you guys. Think okay. about it. Before we jump into the lightning round, I want you to just cover the, um, you, the pathway from a fan of the brand to becoming an ambassador of the brand and finally become an advocate of the brand. You know, we discussed this, you know, prior to this um, interview. Could you just explain how that journey occurs and how you, you put, you know, your customers into these pockets? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's like every other relationship. I mean, I think it has to be nurtured. We use obviously technology to figure out ways to nurture those relationships, how to develop, how to strengthen those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, we look at anybody, you know, for us, customers, a dirty word. So anybody who likes our products or even like something on Instagram is considered like a fan. Like you wouldn't like my product if you weren't a fan, right? I'm not going to call you a customer. You're not a customer. You're a fan. So our idea is to how to transition a person from a fan to an ambassador, to an advocate. And yeah, you might say advocate and and ambassador is almost the same, but advocate is really the someone that's ambassador is like someone that's going to say, Oh, wow, it's a great watch. Plug you guys should get it. An advocate will mean like if someone says, Oh, that's uh, really, you like that? Dude, you don't know what you're talking about. This is the best thing since sliced bread. Like they will go out of their way to, to, to make sure that they, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a stronger segment of an ambassador. So that's what our goal. Our goal is how do we transition? And again, we use a lot of email communication, um, a lot of chat. If you go on our chat, it's very friendly. It's very fast. Um, nobody likes to wait for anything these days or any, I don't think anybody ever wanted to wait for anything anyways. But, uh, uh, you know, the whole style of the communication is all with the goal of moving that person within the, the, um, the advocate. So if you're a fan and again, you know, one of the things that we look at the whole time is, is figuring out our attribution. So like, you know, a lot of companies, um, or a lot of brands they're like, okay, you need like a seven day attribution. You know, we use software that will tell us, you know, what the journey of that person was from like when they liked something on Instagram to when they actually made the purchase. And sometimes we've seen it take over a year. What is so, what, what do you use? What software do you use for that? Um, we're using a thing called Wicked Reports. Okay. Awesome. And what that does, that pulls in like on-site data, opening of emails, all that stuff. And it tries to figure out um, exactly what the journey was, what it took for that, you know, what it took for that purchase, you know, what, what relationship. And then we can kind of figure out like what works and what doesn't work. And also from an attribution perspective, like, you know, if somebody, let's say, came into a Facebook ad, signed up to our email and then was on our email list and then visited another website and got, got hit up with a display ad, there's so many different touch points. Everybody wants to take credit for it. So you want to give everybody, you know, the last person who made the purchase, like, you know, Google display ads is saying, I made, I, I'm, I'm the one that converted. But really that person came through an email, signed up for an SMS, got an SMS link, came to an article that I read. I, 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 you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a journey yeah, here. There's a journey. Yeah. yeah and so, makes. and so we want, we want to understand that journey. Uh, I love what you talk about the advocates, especially. And if you get more advocates, then your, your marketing spend is just going to keep going down or your CPA is going to come down. Um, Cause there's nothing like word of mouth really. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cause if you, exactly. Like if you said, if you know, if you want to scale, um, you have to be able to spend more money to reach people. Yeah. And, you know, while you want to be profitable on the first purchase, you know, if you're thinking ahead and you're confident enough in your product and in your systems um, to develop these strong relationships, then you don't mind necessarily not making a lot of money on your first purchase because you just know and you're confident that you will make it up in, in subsequent purchases. That makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, I've probably taken a lot of your time, mate. Um, well, uh, before, I, <laughs> thank you. well, before I let you go, I think we need to go through the lightning round, um, which is a segment of this podcast where I ask you a question. And if you could answer with a single sentence, it would be brilliant. It will not be a single sentence. <laughs> Let's try. Okay. What advice would you give to yourself five years ago? 
Don't sweat the small stuff. Awesome. Okay. Are you a morning person? I am. Okay. What's your morning because routine? Because I like, ooh, cycling. Okay. Because you like cycling. Okay. Awesome. Um, most people I know I'm who actually cycle. Forced, I'm actually forced to be a morning person because my group, my group ride leaves so early. Awesome. Most people I know who are, in fact, all people I know who are cyclists who are into cycling are super fit individuals. Everybody I know. Um, okay. What are the two things you can't live without? Is that, ooh, that's a tricky one. Is it a system? No, it's just it two things. It could, it could be coffee. It could be yes. Oats, it could be yes. Coffee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> coffee would be coffee would be number one, and number two. I don't know. It's a tough one. My family. Awesome. Okay. What's been your best mistake to date? By that time, being a setback has given you the biggest feedback. A setback that has given us the most feedback. Oh. A setback. There's been a bunch of little setbacks, and I think everybody's going to go through them. But I will tell you one thing, and I heard this from somebody, and I I think it's really really important. Yeah. Forget goals. Think about systems. Hmm. Okay. Well, right, that's a good. If one. you think about systems, you will have your goals will be your goals will come through. Okay. All right. Systematic thinking. Okay. And finally, what book are you currently reading? I'm not reading any books. Okay. All right, cool. And, but but I do listen to podcasts. Okay, what what are your top three podcasts? Oh, I can't give you three. I can give no, you one. One. What's your one? What's your one? One. Um, Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman. Okay. Yeah, I know. Scale. Um, Masters of Scale. Okay, Masters of Scale. Okay. Chaz, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. For those who you know um, want to find out more um, about Live Watches, about you. Um, livewatches, livewatches.com. Um, would you, are you on social media at all? Sure. Um, you, Absolutely. How, how, how best can they, you know, con- yes. Sure. So all our handles are basically at livewatches. Okay. So for example, Instagram at livewatches, Facebook at livewatches, Twitter at livewatches. And of course you can visit us at livewatches.com. We're actually going back on Kickstarter. Oh, fantastic. When? Yeah. We're going back on Kickstarter. Hopefully, at the end of September. Okay. I will set an alert. Yes. And I, I think that's where I'm going to make the, well, if I do that, then yeah. I won't get that email. So I think I'll just buy from your, from your website, but thank Whatever. you so much as thank you. No, my pleasure. It was great talking to you. And, uh, and guys remember, believe in what you're doing and never stop. Fantastic. Cheers. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.